Often we try to get deep in the Word, but never understand the basics. Do you really know what you believe, and do you believe it in faith? We hope that you are encouraged as you join us in the message entitled, The Basics. This morning, uh, I had prepared my sermon, and then I will be sticking to the sermon, barring a lightning strike from God. But uh, during prayer time, and uh, even before I left the house, the Lord was sharing a couple things with me. And I was like, when he first started sharing, I was like, oh, no, wait. Children's church is waving at me, so I'm sorry. See, Bye. You can go with Miss Lisa. I know. It's more fun in there than it is in here. It's just I have to be stuffy up here. Um, I was like, oh, no, you're not changing my sermon again at the last minute, are you? <laughs> and he was like, no, just add this in. And um, I'm going to read you some of what he told me this morning before I left the house. But when I was in prayer and the intercessors were praying and I was praying with them, um, I saw two big feet and they were barefooted. And I saw someone kneeling at their feet, at these feet. And it was me, and it was God's feet. And you know, God doesn't have stinky feet. He doesn't. And what the Lord told me, He brought to my mind Ephesians, it's chapter 6, verse uh, 15. Old guy, I gotta put my glasses on. Verse 15, and it's talking about the whole armor of God, but there was only one of those pieces he brought to my mind right there. And it's verse 15, and it says, And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace. Shodding is what we do to horses. You take a horse and you put horseshoes on his feet. You shod the horse's feet. Now, you nail these shoes to the horse's feet and it is tough to do believe me i've tried never had much luck i'm a cowboy in theory but not in practice and the thing of it is is that those shoes are nailed to your feet they're meant to stay on there and they're meant to protect you and make you more agile and more mobile and and what I was seeing there is, is that the Father said to me that there are people here who have spending a little too much time on the phone or whatever and not enough time at his feet. And they wonder why there is no peace in their mind. And I don't know who that's for other than me. But the Lord did have me because I asked God, is this for me only or is this for the people? And God said, I want you to share that. So I'm sharing it. And what God is wanting to tell you is, is that if you will come and kneel at my feet, my feet, God saying, are the original gospel of peace. It's very intimate to kneel at someone's feet. You ever been to a foot washing? Me and my wife, we had a there was a marriage thing here, and at the end of it, Sister Jeannie did it. it was she did a really good job with it. I'd like to see her do another one because I think some of you couples who haven't been to it should go through it, and I would like to go through it again with my wife. And they had us wash each other's feet at the end. 
It's a very personal thing. And for Jesus to stand there and Mary to wash his feet, you know. And really what it's saying is you can really be healthy, but if you get injured in your feet, you're really not that mobile, are you? It's very difficult to go and preach the gospel. It is done, but it's not as done as as effectively and as efficiently. And I just saw that, you know, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And you want peace in your heart, peace in your mind, peace in your home. You've got to spend time at the feet of God, the feet of Jesus. And if you're not, that's why. That's why. It doesn't matter why you're not spending time. I'm not here to fuss at you about deer hunting or I definitely wouldn't do that because, you know, deer season's coming up and I got to go deer hunting, you know. Uh, but uh, no, it doesn't matter if it's golf fishing, maybe it's. I don't know, you got to go shopping, I don't know. Whatever it is, if, if you're spending more time at that than at the feet of God, don't wonder why there is no peace in your heart and your mind. And you're not prepared then to share that gospel of peace with someone else. Okay, does that make sense to you? All right, if you want, you can turn your Bible that says, not my sermon, but it's the other part of what God showed me this morning before I left the house. We're going to turn to the gospel of Luke. Little lesson there, Luke was a Greek doctor. He set about to write the most concise, uh, detailed, just put together, orderly um, gospel that we have. And in chapter 5 of Luke, verse 17, I'll let you get there. I got to switch to my cordless, don't I? Forgot about that. Let me do that while you're turning. All right, let's see if we're on here or not. There it almost, yep, okay. I got a little uh, befuddled when I heard my my baby girl was having a reaction, so I went out and prayed that the Lord would uh, touch her and everything would be all right and that he would give me peace in my heart, and he did. But it made me a little befuddled, so bear with Papa. Uh, in Luke chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law. Now, these are Jewish teachers. They made up the Sanhedrin, which would have been the ruling elite of Jesus' day, of the Jewish community. Teachers of the law, setting by, who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. Now, this is a key verse I want you to see. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. The power of the Lord was present to heal them. Jesus was there, and the Holy Spirit was there. The power of God was there. And that's what I was telling you this morning. The presence of the Lord is in this place, and the power of God is here to heal you. And there are many things that stop our healing. And I'm not going to address all the reasons why our healing is stopped. I'm going to address one this morning and the one that the Lord told me to address. And the healing I'm talking about, whenever I speak of healing, I'm not just speaking of physical healing, although I am. I absolutely believe God can heal the physical body and even raise the dead still. But God wants to heal you both body, 
mind and spirit are your soul, your mind, your soulish realm. How you think, how you act, what your desires are. Change them from unholy to holy. And so the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him, bring him in, because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. Now, uh, typically what I've studied, what we believe is that it was the portico on Peter's house. I believe they were at Peter's house. There were so many people gathered around. They just couldn't get close enough. Everybody wanted to hear Jesus, including the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, Sadducees. And typically in Middle Eastern homes, there would be a stairwell a lot of times on the outside that you could climb up to get up on the roof. And so you've got to imagine these two men or three men or however many men it was. I don't think it even says. Does it say? It just says men. They brought their friend and they had to tote him there on a bed. They had to climb up a precarious height with him. They were sweating. They were dirty. They were tired. They were also fearful for their life. I'm going to fall off the side of the house because you're toting a human being. Some of you firefighters in here in training and all know what that's like. I picked up the dummy. I went up uh, to uh, James Thacker was doing the burning building thing. And we went up to watch him do it. And, and I reached and grabbed one of the dummies. And I was like, it's a good thing I ain't trying to save you. Because it's like a real weight of a human being. I'm like, it's a good thing I'm not pulling you out. You'd burn to death. You know, so I admire those guys in the training that they have. And so here they're toting all this dead weight up on the roof of a house. They get out over the porch. Now they've got the fear also of tearing up Peter's house. Who's going to pay for the roof? And they rip off the tiles and they let this man down in through the, the roof right down on top of Jesus. Because, and we know this because he says he looks up. Uh, actually, he says, and he saw and I'm down in the midst, right there, right by Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said to him, Man, your sins are forgiven. Now, it's interesting that he saw their faith and not his. Sometimes you're very weak. You need someone else to pray for you. I've talked to you about this before in here off of this very pulpit. Some of you have heard it. Some of you may have not. You know, repetition breeds remembrance. Well, you're going to get it again. A little bit different twist on it. He saw their faith. Man, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, See, your mind is the enemy of God. The carnal mind, it says. Not your regenerated mind. The one that Jesus is trying to give you. But your meathead. Carnal is meat. This is the Greek for meat. And if you're carnally minded, you're... A T-bone head. You're a meathead. Okay. I'm not trying. I'm just telling you what God said. Don't go. I'm mad at him. He called me a meathead. Okay. It means carnally minded. It means to have a head of meat. Nothing can get in there. Okay. So they reasoned. That was their first mistake. Saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts. When he perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? For as a man thinketh in his heart, 
so is he. So is he. Their heart and their mind is combined. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. What is in our heart is going to come out of our mouth. So there was doubt. There was reasoning. The, the Pharisees were they were greedy for money and power. That's the two main greed issues that Jesus was facing. We talked about this a little bit on Wednesday night. If you weren't here, giving you a crash course. Um, so he says, why did you reason in your heart, in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise up and walk? Because you understand that by the sin of one man, the Bible says, Adam, death entered in. This man's disease would not be here had sin not taken place. And that's what Jesus is correlating it to. He's also making a statement. I am the one that can forgive sins. I am God. And sickness and disease many times are tied to sin. And he says, well, what's easier then to tell him his sins are forgiven or to say, rise up and walk? Verse 24 said, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he rose up before them, took up what he had been laying on and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed and they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, we have seen strange things today. The only one healed that day was the man on the bed. Because the others were nitpicking, complaining. This is just God told me to tell you this this morning. I don't know who it is. God loves you. He wants to heal you. But I'm telling you, somebody's healing is being held back. Not because God wants to. Because it says that the power of the Lord was there to heal them. But because of the reasoning in their heart, they weren't healed. Just that man was healed. And that's not my sermon today. But I had to be obedient to, the, to God. It's not fun for me to share that with you. But I am compelled by the Spirit of the Lord to tell you the truth when He tells it to me. So I would ask you to search your heart and make sure that's not you. Uh, that you're reasoning about all these things, that maybe there's an offense. I'm not here to say whether you're right or wrong. What's more important, to be right or to be healed? So I'll leave you with that. Hopefully that chewing on that piece of fat (laughs) won't stop you from concentrating on the sermon, but that's the risk I had to take. So if you can receive it, there it is, Jesus said. All right. Uh, title of the sermon today, The Basics. The Basics. I've been teaching a New Testament survey on Wednesday nights. I need you to turn to Acts chapter 10. You feeling good? You're not mad at me, right? Okay. Because I just, you know, I'm just telling you what I was told. I have to be obedient. I have to live with myself. So, And my wife has to live with me. So if I disobey God, I'm grumpy. And she don't want me grumpy. 
<laughs> so, all right, what we're going to talk about is the basics today. You need to understand something. And what you need to understand is the gospel is not that difficult. Man is without hope. He committed sin in the Garden of Eden. He was given a choice. Why? God built the garden, created the garden. He put a tree in it and said, don't eat of this, everything else you can eat of. Don't eat of this on the day that you do. You will surely die. You're going to die spiritually and physically. Um, and uh, they disobeyed. They went. They ate the fruit. Um, sin entered in. Now, God in his omniscience and all-knowing had already formulated a plan. He knew what was going to happen because he's God. He formulated a plan to get man back. And that plan was to send Jesus. The Old Testament is a type and shadow and a prophecy linking Jesus to all the foretelling of the prophets. That he would come and he would be born to, of a virgin and that he would be God in the flesh. That is, that is central to our belief. Jesus is God in the flesh. The Trinity is an equal-sided triangle. It is like water in its three forms. The egg is, seems on the outside to be a good analogy for the Trinity, but it is not. You can have an egg shell and not have an egg. You can have an egg yolk and not have a whole egg. You can have an egg white and still not have a whole egg. But water has three forms. And all of you youngins in, still in chemistry class should know what they are. They are a... All right, smart people's in the house. A liquid, gas, and solid. They all are the same. It's water. They, form, they, they serve different functions, but they are equally and positively the same in element. And that's the easiest way to understand the Trinity. And so when we look at this, you need to understand something about your belief and the way that you share the gospel. It doesn't have to be that hard. You need to know what you believe. Do you know what you believe and do you really have faith that it is so? And when we look at this, in Acts chapter 10, there is a proclamation here. Now, the word proclamation we get from the Greek word kerygma. Kerygma is spelled K-E-R-Y-G-M-A. Kerygma. It means proclamation. A short concise message in Acts chapter 10 starting at verse 34 this is what scholars of our day Bible scholars and scholars throughout Bible scholars throughout history have referred to as the kerygma it is the core belief that Christians have about Jesus Christ it is what was taught in the early church by the disciples this is Peter preaching a sermon to a Roman centurion named Cornelius he went from Joppa north to Caesarea, which was about 40 miles because he'd been told in a vision by God to do so. Peter is a Jew. He's not supposed to have an association with a Gentile, but he goes right into the house of a Roman centurion, a commanding officer in the Roman army. But Cornelius was a godly man. He worshipped with the Jews, and he had given many alms to the Jewish people, which is money, offerings to the poor. And the Jews that lived in Caesarea knew Cornelius and loved him. He had been praying and asking for wisdom, and God sends Peter to him. And that's where we're at in chapter 10, verse 34. Peter has gotten to Cornelius' house, 
And in this verses, this is what we this was preached in the early church. And it is it is the total message concerning the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it was preached to all non-believers. And this is all you have to preach. After you've preached it with your life. Preach a sermon without saying a word so that when you speak your words, they have power behind them. That's easy enough to remember, right? All right. What did the old man do with his glasses? In my pocket. All right. Verse 34, chapter 10 says, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears Him and works righteousness is accepted by Him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. There's no room for doubt. Peter's not giving them any room for doubt. That the word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism, which John preached. He's saying Jesus started his ministry when he came up out of the water, baptized by the, uh, John the Baptist. The Holy Spirit descended upon him, anointed him in the power to go into the ministry. And, and in Mark, it says that he was driven into the wilderness by the Spirit of God to be tested by the devil. Forty days and 40 nights without food. Alright, that's what he's referring to right there. Verse 38, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly. It's very important. There's two facts that Peter is stating that are unequivocal truths, infallible truths, that every cult that comes along tries to disprove. And that is that Jesus is deity. He is God and that he did raise from the dead. They always, they give you the swoon theory. Well, he just passed out on the cross. They put him in the tomb and then he came back to life. That is not so. I can give you medical facts to the effect that it's impossible for the man to have lived. He was already near the point of death from the beatings that he took before he was put on the cross. And so we know that swoon theory is not viable. What they try to tell you is he's not God and he didn't raise from the dead. And Peter unequivocally uh, testifies to the fact that he is God and he did raise from the dead. Verse 41, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that this is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead, the lost and the saved. Verse 43, to him all the prophets, what did I tell you about the Old Testament? It was a foretelling of the coming of Christ, the book of Matthew you will see that it is all through the book of Matthew. You will see phraseology that says, like in verse 18 here of chapter 2, says, A voice was heard in Ramah. And it says before that 17, Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet. 
You will see phraseology like that all through Matthew because Matthew is speaking to a Jewish audience primarily and showing them and arguing for the fact that Jesus is Messiah. Jesus Christ. Christ is not his last name. Christ means Messiah, anointed one, the one we have waited for to come in the flesh. That's what Christ means. Jesus, the anointed Messiah, Emmanuel in the flesh. When that, when that title was spoken to a Jew, and he, they knew exactly what they were saying about him. He is the anointed promised Messiah when, when, when the, the Christ was used. So when we see this, to him all the prophets witnessed that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And see, when we get into this, what you've got to understand is that this is the core teaching pulled down into a kerygma, a proclamation, a short, concise declaration of the entirety of the gospel. That's not too hard to remember. It's not too hard to understand, even for me, a cartoon-watching guy. You see? And and when I read that, and I know that, and, you know, I had men teach this to me, and freely I've been given, so freely I give. I'm telling you, read this, study it, chapter 10 of Acts, verses 34 through 43, and understand that that is the core belief of this church, of our denomination, and of most of the Christian denominations that you will see. Most of your mainline Christian denominations believe this. The Baptists, they believe this. Christian Church believes that. Um, several others, they, they believe this. This was established more early in like 325 A.D. or A.D. 2025 at the Nicene Council. Um, when they established it in the Nicene Creed, you've also heard it called the Apostles' Creed. Um, that was instigated by Constantine. I won't go into all of Constantine's beliefs. Albeit, I don't know about Constantine so much, but he did do a lot of good. Okay, If you want to know why, you can get with me later and I'll share some facts about Constantine. But at the Council of Nicaea, you've got to understand that there were like 318 delegates there to formulate this, from, take it from Scripture, put it down and say, look, give this to all the churches and tell them this is what we believe. This is our foundation. There were like 318 delegates there. 300 of those had either lost a hand, a foot, an eye, or were maimed in some way because they were persecuted and tortured for their faith. Not just the disciples have died for their faith, and your faith, and my faith, but many men and women throughout the ages have been tortured and died. So it, it behooves you to learn the kerygma, the, the, the concise basics of what we believe so that you can remember it, so that when the time comes, be ready to give an account to everyone that asks you of the hope that resides within you. Be ready always. 
I have witnessed at times when my guts were hanging out. I've witnessed at times when I felt like I was about as spiritual as this rubber sole on this worn out old shoe. I did it. I didn't want to. But I was obedient. And fruit came of that. And you need to know it. You need to know that core doctrine. Also, for your benefit, one of the greatest sermons preached about the entirety of the Jewish nation. Jesus and his ministry was preached by a simple deacon that waited tables, and his name was Stephen. And you find that, read the whole entire chapter 7 of the book of Acts. And, and Stephen gives one of the greatest, to the point, poignant sermons uh, about this, the entirety of God's plan. And they stoned him for it. Um, so, can't promise you safety. Can't promise you people will love you when you say those things. But I can promise you that it is truth and truth stands alone. Truth stands alone. I don't have to add to it. I shouldn't. The Bible warns me not to. And I shouldn't take away from it. The Bible warns me also not to do that. Also, I want to flip over to Romans chapter 3. Everyone with me? I ain't putting you to sleep with facts and figures, am I? Okay, because I know I'm kind of a wacko, and if I'm not this morning, you may be like, what's wrong with him? But um, God just, I'm normally more of a demonstrative teacher, preacher, whatever you, preacher. I'm a preacher and a teacher. Than this, but God just wanted me to really focus on basics for you this morning. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. Justification. That's a big word. Justification. What's the easy way to remember that word, what it means? Just as if I'd never sinned. Justified. Justification. Justified. Justified before God. Just as if I'd never sinned. That's what justification, justified before God means. Justification. And its complete definition is the act whereby God declares a person righteous and in right relationship, I'll read you the full, with himself. It is based upon the perfect life, atoning death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and appropriated or put into action by faith apart from any works or merit on our own part. Did you get that? You got that? It's, it's, it's based upon the three facts that we read in the kerygma. The, the perfect life, he went about healing the sick, the atoning death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it is appropriated by faith. He did it for you, but he, it does you no good unless you believe it, unless you accept it, and unless you walk in it. Faith without works is dead simply means faith without corresponding action. You have faith to believe to get saved. You have to walk in that salvation and work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So that's what the 
the proper definition of justification is or justified, but for me, simple man, I like to remember it as justified just as if I'd never sinned. But now, verse 21 of chapter 3, Romans says, But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. The law came before the, the, the sacrifice of Jesus. And so it was witnessed to by the prophets. I talked to you about how all of the Old Testament basically is a leading up to, a prophesying, a building to the coming of Jesus at the center of time. The center of the ages. And it says here, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to, to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified, there's that word, justified freely by His grace. Grace is unmerited favor. You do nothing to earn salvation. You can't earn salvation. The Bible says that your best is still filthy rags compared to God and His righteousness. Righteousness simply means to be in right standing with God. My belief in Jesus is a free gift unearned by any good deed I've ever done. Now I'm talking about when you get saved. It's simply a gift given that you do not deserve. And you are made in right standing because Jesus declares you just as if you'd never sinned before the Father. Is that easy enough to understand? Big theological words. That whole King James 1611 version. Gets you sometimes. Now this is what's cool <clears throat> for me. For all of sin. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That word redemption there is so cool. It is a release secured by the payment of a ransom. Deliverance, the setting free. The word in secular Greek describes a conqueror releasing prisoners. A master ransoming a slave. And redemption from an alien yoke. Paul talks about that you are slaves bound unto sin. Jesus came and set you free. He redeemed you. Redemption means the payment of a debt that you do not owe. You're a slave and someone comes, you're an indentured servant, and they go to the man that you are enslaved to and says, how much money does Joel owe you? Well, he owes me 15 more years of his life or $3,000. Here's the $3,000. And I look up at this man and I say, okay, what kind of work am I going to be doing for you? And the ransom payer looks at me and says, I just want to spend time with you, Joel. I see something beautiful in you. Because in Ephesians it says you are the workmanship of God, which is poeme. We get the word poem from it. Which means each and every one of you is a unique, special poem written in flesh by the living God. And you have things to offer the body that I do not. There are people that's going to cross your path that you are going to meet that need you. And God has written a special poem in you, in your flesh, 
for them to read. Did you get what I just said? This abandonment thing. God created you. You're his workmanship. A beautiful poem written in flesh. Poeme. I like to think he made me the Robert Frost one. Like Robert Frost. All those other guys I just couldn't understand. Robert Frost took the natural world around him and wrote a lot of his poems based on that. The woods are lovely, dark, and deep. I have promises to keep. Miles to go before I sleep. Miles to go before I sleep. That's my favorite. But knowing that, I've had to battle to learn that. I've had to battle the lies of the enemy. Many of you are dragging around a steamer trunk full of junk from your past. You're dragging around just a load of junk. And you cannot be an effective witness or worker for Christ toting all that junk wherever you go. New parents, it's funny. When we had our first baby, we like toted the house. We would be worn out, not from the baby, but for carrying everything, including the kitchen sink with us. Then we realized we can streamline this puppy. You're going to drink, you know, milk that is lukewarm. You know, we're not toting the microwave. And so you've got to understand that all this baggage is attached to you from your past and God has forgiven it. You've gotten saved. He's covered it with His blood. But you've got a shovel in your hand. You're still digging that stuff up. Do you know it's something that's buried and it's been in the ground for a while? You ever buried a pet? Now I don't want to make nobody's feelings get hurt. Well, you've buried pets before and something dug it up. It stinks. Decomposing sinful nature stinks it's buried with christ leave it buried the father doesn't hold it against you why are you holding it against you if he's forgiven you are you smarter than god do you know better than god i'm not telling you to live in a habitual sinful lifestyle what i'm speaking to here is people who have not fully realized that they are the workmanship of god they're, that steamer trunk of junk, cut it loose, bury it in the ground, cover it up, and leave it there because it stinks. And move on. God's got a ministry for you. And it goes on here and it says that that redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation. That's fun to say. Propitiation. Say it fast and try not to spit on nobody. Doesn't work. Propitiation, like, what does that mean? Jesus is the propitiation. If nothing else, I'm going to get you, brothers and sisters are going to be spitting each other's face going, well, Pastor Jojo said to go propitiation at him, Mom. I don't know. I would. Propitiation is the appeasement of divine wrath. Wrath is being poured out on the earth, not because God wants to, but because His holiness demands that He judges sin. Sin entered in by the the disobedience of one man, and the wrath against sin has been poured out from that time and is still being poured out. Jesus came and became the propitiation against that wrath. It is the appeasement of divine wrath. So in essence, it is the holding back. Of divine wrath. And if I could stretch this arm out this morning, I would look like Jesus on the cross. 
So when you want to understand what he did for you, propitiation is Jesus' arms stretched wide on the cross, not so you could see his hands, but so that he can hold back the wrath that you deserve. That's what propitiation means, the basics. He stretched out his arms and held back divine wrath. He's holding back divine wrath for you, for me, for the entire world. He is the propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. What is that speaking of? It's speaking of all the saints, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Samson, the Hall of Faith guys, Rahab, those who were faithful, that died before Jesus came and paid the price. They went to a place called Paradise that's found in uh, Luke. We're not going to turn there, but in Luke chapter 16, verse 19, it's the rich man Lazarus. The rich man dies, goes to hell. Lazarus dies and goes to Paradise, the bosom of Abraham. And you read the story for yourself. But it's It's true. And it says that the rich man opened up his eyes, lift up his eyes in hell. And he could see Abraham and Lazarus. Now you can go to Isaiah chapter 4, uh, chapter 5, verse 14. And what you're going to find in there, it says that hell hath enlarged itself. That's a little interesting. What is he talking about there? Because Jesus said when he rose from the dead, he that first, before he ascended, he first descended into the lower parts of the earth, into hell. And he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. What is that saying? That when Jesus died on that cross, he went to paradise. He preached to the souls who were in bondage there. Abraham and Isaac and those men could not leave. They were trapped there. The ransom had not been paid. The sacrifice had not been made. And though they were not in torment, they were still in prison there. He led captivity captive and gave gifts unto man. He defeated the enemy, made an open show of them, it says, and rose victorious. What happened then? They're no longer there. God's, God's men of old. Abraham believed God, Paul says in Romans, it was counted unto him as righteousness. So Abraham went to the bosom of to paradise. When they left, Jesus took them out. The prophecy spoken of in chapter 5 of Isaiah 14 came to pass. It says, hell enlarged itself. There is no place of waiting for the dead. You need to understand the truth. You do not pray your dead loved ones into heaven. This life is it. I walked through a cemetery approaching my father's headstone. And God said to me, once you come to this place, son, it's over. You cannot add to your life and you cannot take away the mistakes. Do you understand? I said, yes, I understand, God. I looked up and saw Harris on the tombstone in front of me. My last name. And the reality of my limitedness in my life. The limitedness of your life right now and eternity slammed together like two great symbols. And it's eternity ringing. And you've got to make a choice. I've decided to serve God no matter what it cost me. It's cost me a little bit. But not nearly what I'm willing to pay with His grace. And you've got to understand that you've got to make a choice because this is not all there is. There is eternity. And the things that you do now, you're going to carry into eternity without the blood of Jesus on your life. I'm not trying to scare the bejeebas out of you. 
But what I want you to understand is you've been bought with a price. There's a serious thing going on. And you need to understand the basics of what we believe and why we believe it. You, there cannot be a shadow of turning in your mind. The double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. I believe it today. I don't believe it tomorrow. I believe it today. Uh, tomorrow, I don't believe it the day after. Then you become unstable in all of your ways. That is not God's best for you. That is not what He wants for you. Now, I'm going to talk to you about something here that may be a sore subject for some folks. Understand, when I tell you this, I am not condemning books. I love books. Got a cool copy of Moby Dick at home, Herman Melville's wonderful book. Um, but you've got to understand that you've got to be careful. I read and quote from A.W. Tozer because he ministers to me. I have not found one shred of error in what he said. And you know the other reason why? That's my bubba. That's my nephew, Gabe. Cool guy. Matt. The reason why I quote for, from Tozer, the second reason why, is he's dead. He is dead. Meaning he can't mess up and get caught in some sin or something or start talking goofy and go off the deep end. That's why. Quote dead men. Don't quote men that are living too often. I, I, I would, uh, I'm still intrigued by the man's intelligence, but I was... Um, there's a book that I had read, and, and it talked about Stephen Hawking. You may not know him, but he's a man that is in a wheelchair, and he's one of the most brilliant physicists of our day. And he, years ago, he made the statement that the universe is so ordered and so perfect in its design that there must be some entity, intelligence, like God, that created it. Well, that's cool. Well, it turns out, I made this statement about him in a class one night. Then within two days or a day, my boy's on TV talking about aliens coming to take us over. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Wow. Never quote living men too often. Self-help books are okay. And I'm not telling you to not read some self-help books. But be careful. This book right here has all the self-help you need. Now look, if you like Beth Moore, I do. I, I think her teachings are great. John Bevere's books are wonderful. Do they have the capacity to fail you and let you down? Yes. As long as they're drawing breath. So do I. So do me a favor and laugh when I bump my head. It keeps me humble. We all need to be humble, especially men that stand right here. Because we're declaring truths from the Word of God, and we need to understand and we need to be careful when we think we stand lest we fall. You as a believer, be careful when you think you've got it all together. I don't need to read the Bible, man. I got it down. I got it down. Have you gotten it down lately? Have you gotten it down lately? You got fear? You got anxiety? Is your mind racing? Have you gotten your Bible down lately? Kick the dust off of it. Read, my peace I give to you. My peace I leave with you. Not as the world gives, gives I, give I unto you.
you see. There was a man by the name of Ted Haggard, and some of you may know him. He was one of the biggest uh, evangelical churches in the U.S. Uh, monster megachurch, awesome ministry. The dude, they were like, he is the energizer bunny of pastors. The guy is just running 90 miles an hour. You know why? Methamphetamine. I could get a lot of work done if I was on meth. So could you. But your heart's going to explode. And the addictive tendencies behind it is so bad, it's just unbelievable what it does to the human body. Here this man was evangelical pastor of this mega church, ended up in homosexual relationships and stuff because of his imbalanced lifestyle, driven to strive to be the best. I've got to take meth so I can stay up and preach more and research more. So be careful. Nothing. Absolutely. No self-help book. No revelation of man. No spoken word of man ever supersedes the word of God. If you will keep that in mind and stay in the basics of God's word until he, he starts drawing you into some deeper things in his word, you'll do okay. You'll do okay. Uh, I think that's all I have. Is it time? Is it, guys? It's time to go. I went over. Ready to go eat? I don't have anything for you to eat. But uh, Chew makes some really good chicken down here at Owens Creek Store. Listen, why don't you guys go ahead and stand to your feet and stretch and... Do something nice for somebody. The next time you're sitting beside somebody in a really crowded room, I'm going to tell you something that really would be cool for them. You're sitting beside that person and it's really quiet. And their stomach goes... Do this. Go, oh. It's their stomach that growl, but you go, oh. They'll be like... You ever done that? Your stomach growls, it's so quiet, you know. Take the heat for him, man. I, my belly growled. Oh, oh, I'm hungry. You think I'm kidding, man. But I'm going to tell you what. It doesn't take but little things. Little words of encouragement. Show love. Appreciation for people. Thank you for coming. You could have been somewhere else. You could have slept in. Thanks for coming out. If you need prayer, I'll stay and pray for you. If you're dragging around a steamer trunk of junk... You don't have to tell me what it is. You can just say, I got a lot of junk in my trunk. <laughs> Mary Hart does good like a medicine. And I need to get rid of it. And that's all you got to say. I don't need to know. God knows. God can heal that. God takes all that away. And he puts it under the blood of his cross. And he brings it up no more. You can be delivered from all that junk. You don't need to carry that around. You don't need to carry that around. I'll pray for you about that. Anything you need. You need prayer for healing, whatever it is. Uh, no agenda this morning over the, the altar time. I really never have an agenda over the altar time unless God really directs me specifically. Um, and I'll pray for you, whatever. Your puppy's sick. God's concerned about that. He is. He absolutely is.
Why don't we just dismiss in a word of prayer and I'll let you go. I just, guys, I just want you to understand. I, I just wish you could hear sometimes what I hear God say about you. How much He loves you. And He tells me so that I can tell you. Because for some reason you won't hear Him, but you'll hear me. I don't know why that is. Because He speaks a lot better than me. He loves you. You are His workmanship, created in His image. Predestined for good works. Doesn't mean that you have to walk in them, but He has good things for you to walk in. People for you to touch. Lives for you to change. I just, I pray... That's my prayer for you, that you would hear God speaking to you about how much He loves you and cares about you. And He's not going to bring up that junk in your past. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, God, I lift up your congregation to you, Father. They belong to you. You are the shepherd here, Father. And we are the sheep of your pasture. And Lord, the sheep hear and know the Master's voice. So Lord, I pray that you would speak to your people with an unending stream of of keeping them in check, Lord, because you care about their safety, Lord. When you discipline us, God, you do it out of love, not because you're against us. Uh, Father, you speak, Lord, that they would hear the words of encouragement, God, and peace, Father, would flood their minds. I speak against every lying demon spirit that would come in and say, I'm unworthy because this was in my past and that was in my past. I speak to those, Lord, who may be bitter in their hearts and their minds, God. Maybe there's grudges, Lord, from hurts or wounds that have been inflicted long ago, God. Lord, those are in that trunk also. And God, you want to take away that bitterness and that anger and those grudges, Lord. And you want to set them free. For, Father, the person that they hold the grudge against probably doesn't even remember, God. But, Lord, it is killing them. It's eating them up from the inside out, God. And they need deliverance. So, Lord, I just pray for peace on the homes of your people. I release them into your care, Lord. For only you can care for us, God. In you we move and live and have our being, God. You give us breath and you give us life. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Folks, y'all are free to go.